I don't know, this has probably happened to you at some time in your life if you have driven for a while. You come home maybe from a busy day at work and you park your car in the, in the garage or in the driveway and you do your stuff and get dinner and then you go to bed and next morning you get up and you're in a hurry and you're rushing to get your breakfast done and get out the door and you go outside and your tire's flat. Sometime over the last couple of days or over that night, there was a slow leak that just seemed to, to come and maybe it happened gradually over a couple of days, but now you know you can't drive it. When we think about marriage, marriages hardly ever have a complete blowout. But often, due to a slow leak of inattention, negligence, taking for granted, ugly words, we find that the air in the marriage begins to slowly leak out. And you find yourself next to someone that you just feel sort of empty toward. And the Bible tells us and gives us great instruction on marriage and how this is supposed to work. We've looked at over the last couple of weeks. And so what is it in our life and in our marriage as a wife and as a husband that is going to keep the, uh, the fire stoked in our marriage? What is going to, to keep the, the tire inflate. What's going to keep us moving on the road together in our marriage? I think as Peter writes to the believers in the first century, he lays out some great clues for wives that we'll talk about this week. Notice the pink this morning, ladies. And uh, next week, we will talk with men. Maybe I should wear all black like Johnny Cash or something. So anyway... You say, ah, buddy, that's not an issue in our marriage. Can I tell you, uh, someone has, there, there's been two people who've commented. One was a man who said, do I need to be here this morning? And uh, since it's a word to the wives. And uh, another asked me if I had enough security around me this morning because I'm preaching to wives. So, uh, but we look in First Peter chapter 3 and we see what's God's instruction for us as uh, we look at the scripture. First Peter chapter 3. So if you think, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm past that, we're not having that. Can I, you have grandkids or great-grandkids or a great-niece or a great-nephew, and, and they may just around the Thanksgiving table say, you know, I kind of like this girl or I kind of like this guy. What are the things that I should be looking for? And when we take God's word and we lay out his wisdom and his truth, then we have answers beyond He's handsome or she's purdy. There's got to be more than that. And that's exactly what 1 Peter chapter 3 deals with. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, 
wearing gold or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and not and are not afraid with any terror. And with that, let's pray. Uh, God, would you speak to us today? Show us your truth. Drive home the principles that we need to hear. In the name of Jesus, Lord, give us wisdom in our marriages. Give us wisdom for instructing others in your name. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter, remember, is writing to believers in the first century. Nero was on the throne. There is persecution on believers. And often when there's persecution and stress that is coming from the outside, it can cause us to have stress and friction on the inside of our life, which then can move into our marriage. So Peter specifically gives instruction to wives and to husbands. So as we look in First Peter chapter 3, we get that instruction. Over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at the fact that God created life. Life is precious. God created male and female. Each different sexes with specific genders. And with that, he created marriage between a man and a woman. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says in verse number 6, What God has joined together, let not man separate. One man, one woman, for life, moving together in marriage. That's what these folks would have understood as Peter is then laying out the truth for wives. And there's no other way to get around it but then to look at the key word in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, and it is the word submission. As we think about the word submission in and of itself, this is an ongoing theme beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 13, where as citizens, we are to submit to our authorities in government. We're to be good citizens. Then it goes on to say that as servants, or we would say in our context, employees, we are to be submissive to the authority that is given to us from our, uh, by our employers at work. We're to be good employees. Now, the relationship that he ties as husbands and wives is different than your role in government and different than your role at work. But nevertheless, he gives the picture that wives are to be submissive to their husbands, which in our world today sounds like it is degrading and demeaning and shows superiority to men and inferiority to women. Now, when we think about submission, what is it? This is what submission is. It is voluntarily yielding, as a wife, it is voluntarily yielding to the leadership or the authority of your husband that God has given him. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3? Do you remember who took the fruit first? Who was it? This is an out loud answer. Who was it? Eve, then she gave some to Adam. Do you remember who God went looking for in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9? Who did he go looking for? He went looking for Adam. Why? The leadership principle for men. Now, ladies, let me just start right at the very beginning. 
This past week, I spent a couple of days in the Memphis area. I went down to Isle of Branch. That was the place where I first pastored. And in uh, the place that I first pastored, uh, I stayed with some folks who were kind of our adopted grandparents down there. So my seminary pastor was preaching uh, in, a, in a local church down there. So I got to go uh, to church and hear my pastor from from seminary. And it was wonderful. I hadn't seen him in many years. And uh, he asked how we were doing. And then he said, uh, tell your little fast-talking wife I said hi. So if you've been around Julie, yeah. But, but I was on staff at First Baptist Church of Arnold and then Kirby Woods Baptist Church uh, for my first five years of ministry. When I had a challenge in ministry, when someone asked me about a question, when someone had something that they weren't happy about, I was able, as a staff member, to go to the pastor of, of, of First Baptist Arnold, Pastor Gerald Davidson was my pastor, or Pastor Bob Pittman, who was my pastor, and say, Pastor, what would you like me to do? And then he would tell me what I was supposed to do. And then I would go do it. Then... If someone didn't like it, they didn't have a problem with me. They had a problem with him. I was just submissive to the authority in my life. There's great freedom in that. Through all my seminary years and through all my staff years, can I tell you, I never lost an ounce of sleep wondering how this decision was going to affect people in the congregation. Then I became a pastor. And when I became pastor, then I began to realize that people were bringing these questions to me. And I was going to have the responsibility before God to answer in a way for his honor and glory as best I know. And it wasn't always going to make people happy. When I was a staff member, there was submission. I I can follow your leadership, do what you want me to do, and there's great freedom Now, as the lead pastor, I realize, yes, there is this leadership aspect in my life, but with that, there's this heavy load that comes with it. So, wives, I want to tell you that when you understand submission in that term, that your husband ultimately answers to God first and foremost, and you're called to follow his lead, there is great freedom in that. There's great freedom in that. And that's what God wants you to experience. It is not about being degraded, demeaned. That's all a bunch of cultural garbage. Okay? This is the truth of Scripture. So let's jump in. Let's first off, as we think about uh, the, the key of submission, we find that submission is a powerful influence. It's a powerful influence. And there's a command given to wives that says this very beginning. Therefore, linking back to the fact that as citizens were to be submissive, as employees to an employer were to be submissive, wives likewise are therefore be submissive to your own husbands. There's the command, be submissive. Now notice some things about this command. First off, the command to wives is that you're submission to you're submitted to your own husband. That doesn't mean that you have to submit to someone else's husband or to every man out there in the world. Secondly, it doesn't mean that that you're inferior. That we're both he in Genesis 1:26 and 27, he created male and female. In Galatians 3:27-28, we're both saved and honored before God in the same way. It doesn't give any picture of inferiority at all. 
Matter of fact, if I look at the, at, at the truth of my life and my marriage, my wife is a whole lot better at a lot of things than I am. Okay? So it doesn't mean that, that, that I'm always right. It doesn't mean that I am morally or intellectually or spiritually uh, stronger. It, do, it doesn't mean those things at all. It doesn't mean that I have to be better at everything. It just means that ultimately when the authority is laid out of the structure of society, work, and home, husbands are called to be the leaders. And I'll deal with you characters next week, all right? Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with inferiority. It doesn't also, it, 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 this provides no justification for any abuse in any way or any browbeating or taking this passage and beating our wives over the head with it. I like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in the UK for years and years. And he basically said, husbands, men, this is, these are your wives' verses. These were not written to you. They're written to your wives. So don't use them as a tool to beat your wives over the head. You've got your own verses. You let her have her verses. And if she's not submitting, maybe you need to first look at your leadership before you look at her submission. That's basically what he said. It doesn't justify anything that we may do in an ugly fashion. It also doesn't mean, listen, ladies, that you can't influence and speak influence into a decision that needs to be made. Probably in our marriage, probably 95% of our decisions, we are absolutely on the same page. Absolutely. Just moving together. We know we have the same foundation. We have the same desires. We're moving in the same direction. Probably 95 plus percent. For the times when, when we're, we're not exactly on the same page, we talk those out. We're able to visit and talk those decisions out. Most of the time, we then can come to a common agreement and a common decision. That's, that's good. She gives input. Julie has her perspective. I have my perspective. And we move forward together. In the 1% of decisions or a half percent or 0.1% of decisions, ultimately what happens is this. I get a vote, she gets a vote. When our votes are, are equal, and when we haven't decided and absolutely agreed, and there's still uncertainty of what happens, I get the final vote. Now, wives, when your husband gets that final vote, if he makes the wrong decision, the freedom in your life is you just duck and you let God get him. Seriously. There's no, there's no joking to that at all. I'm absolutely serious. You duck and you let God get him. But you walk and do what God wants you to do. There's the command to wives that you're to be submissive to your own husband. Okay? Not everybody, not every man. But submissive to your own husband. And you're voluntarily yielding your authority. You might be smarter. You might know more. You might have a better perspective. And you want to influence. You want to talk through. You want to pray through. But ultimately, he's got to own it. He's got to own it. Now, we see that command, but then notice down with me, not only the command, but then there's the influence of wives. Notice in verse number, uh, the end of verse number one, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. There's the influence of wives, the influence of wives. You know what he says? He gives a picture here, and this is a unique situation, I think, that was found in the first century right here. But it happens, it's happened all throughout then. I think what we have is two unbelievers get married, and then the wife gets saved. 
And when the wife gets saved, it kind of throws their life into a, a spin. Because in the first century pagan uh, beliefs of that day, the wife would simply take the husband's idols and gods with her. And they would have this common family unit where they would worship these idols or follow these fake pagan practices. And now the wife has come to know Jesus and she don't want to be involved in that anymore. And is she being hard-hearted and rebellious and going against her husband? And he says, no, don't act that way. Let me show you how to influence your husband. And he gives the influence of submission. He says, be submissive to your husband. Obviously, if your husband asks you to do something that's against God, you don't, you don't say yes to that. But there's the influence of your submission. Then there's also the influence of your conduct. Notice two times in this, this passage, he says that they may uh, observe your conduct, that they may be one without words. Now, let me just be very careful to say this. One without words does not mean that a wife does not speak her faith. It doesn't mean that you have to be quiet and secretive about your faith. What he's saying is speak about your faith, but understand your actions are going to speak louder than your words. So it's not going to be this moment of thinking you can browbeat your husband to become a believer who is not a believer. Instead, bring it up when it's when it's okay. Bring it up when you're talking about it, but let your submission and your conduct and then your respect for him to be noticed. Notice what this says at the end of verse number two. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. What does that mean? The word fear there gives the picture of being reverent to God. And as I reverence God and recognize my husband, I'm going to show him the respect that God wants me to show him. Don't you find it interesting that in the last verse, in the last few lines, as Paul deals with the family in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, you know what the last thing he gets in is? Wives, show respect to your husbands. Men need to be respected. They took a poll of and asked the question, would you rather be loved Or would you rather be respected? Can I tell you, the vast majority of men pick that they would rather be respected. Because the respect is going to come from a heart of love. And men need that. That's why marriage is two people together. It's coming together. So that in this sense of being accompanied by fear, there's this picture of respect. When you think of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I know you get these visions of Aretha Franklin singing it. Do you know who wrote that song? It wasn't Aretha Franklin. She made it famous and kind of turned it into a more feminist kind of sounding song. You know who wrote the song? Otis Redding. A man wrote it. And the song really entails the fact, I'll do anything that you want me to, just show me respect. That's the picture. And and that's exactly what we see in Ephesians 5.33. Men want to be respected. There is the command and the influence. There's the, the power of submission. 
But, but secondly, we're going to have to move quickly. Not only do we see the power of submission, but we see that submission is, is not only a powerful influence, but a beautiful adornment. It's a beautiful adornment. Pick up with me in verse number three. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or uh, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hurt, hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, this passage does not prohibit external beauty, okay? But it does, it does affirm internal beauty. So what he's saying here is, is look, just like in that day, in this day, culture and society says, look, paint yourself up, look beautiful, be out there, be a beautiful person, put on the makeup, Fix your hair, put on the jewelry, get all decked out, look fancy, look pretty. And he says, don't let your, your appearance merely be external. But there's this incorruptible or imperishable beauty that changes the inside. It's incorruptible, it's imperishable. That this inner beauty is going to last forever. I don't know if you've noticed, external beauty doesn't last forever. Someone has said that time is a great healer, but a terrible beautician. The picture in, the, in, in, in life here is, look, what's going on on the inside? is what really makes a person beautiful. Now, again, our society puts looks at the top of the chart on everything. And let me tell you, for, for young girls in this world, it is a difficult world in which to live because of the influence of society. But the Lord comes back and says, look, don't let it just be the outward. I, I, I think for us would be, look, look nice. Look nice. But remember, true beauty is inward. And then he talks about this gentle and quiet spirit. Does that mean that every woman has to be like a mouse? Well, let me show you what a gentle and quiet spirit is not first, and then we're going to come back and talk about what a gentle and quiet spirit is. There's uh, this whole realm out here of, of mean girls. And drama queens, or if you've watched the show Bridezillas, where there are women out there who think that the whole world revolves around them. They are loud and they are proud. And everything is about them. So when it comes to this event or this activity, it's all about me. It's all about me. And I want the attention. And I'll be mean to someone else to put them down so that I can exalt myself. I have to wear this. I have to look like this. It's all about me. It's all about my appearance. That's a picture of our world today. Loud and proud. And instead, the Lord says, have a gentle and quiet spirit. In other words, have a heart of humility and tranquility on the inside that says this, I don't have to be the center of attention. I, I'm, I can be involved. My wife is an extrovert. 
when, when, when we're around, I mean, quiet doesn't happen. I was gone, you know, a few days this week and, and, uh, you know, I mean, quiet is, she's talkative. There's just no doubt about it. She wants to talk to me and, and, and we talk and it's not have anything to do with that. It's a gentle and quiet spirit that says, I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to have the universe circle around me. I can find contentment and peace in the Lord. And I would say, grandmas and grandpas, if your grandkid is dating a drama queen, you better tell him to run. I'm serious. Moms and dads, if your kids are are marrying someone who has to be the center of attention and has to be the focus of everyone, you better tell him to run. Likewise, I would tell girls, if that's not a guy that your his leadership is not willing to you're you're willing to submit to, and he's not someone that you want to follow, you better run. Don't go there. So the picture is is that submission is, is not only a powerful influence, but it's a beautiful adornment. As you have this submissive, inner, quiet, and gentle beauty in your life, it speaks volumes. That's what he's saying. Now, we pick up in verse number five and six, and we see uh, the, the third picture of, of submission that's given. Submission is a commendable practice. Now, notice in verse number five. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Submission's a commendable practice. Now, it's interesting what he does here in verse number five and six. He talks about the, the holy women of the past, and, and they had this quiet and submissive spirit. And then Sarah calling her, uh, calling Abraham Lord. And I've heard this brought up by men before. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 18 and, and take, a, take a look at this because I think this is really important to look at. Genesis chapter 18, first book in the Bible. And it's really an interesting context. Uh, pick up with me in verse number nine. Now, uh, Abraham is there. Uh, he he has an appearance by uh, someone who who basically uh, he he's not exactly sure what's going on, but he knows that this is just not a normal Joe here, and so they're going to go make a sacrifice. And then notice, pick up with me in Genesis chapter eighteen, verse number nine. Then they said to him, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" So he said, "Here in the tent." And he said, "I will certainly return to you according to the time of life." And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Okay, so you have Abraham almost 100, Sarah almost 90. And uh, they get visited from a messenger of heaven who says, next year at this time, you're going to have a baby. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're 89 years old, I don't think you're wanting to go out and, uh, you know, buy a new playpen, all right? And she's past the childbearing years, and she's thinking, no way. 
Pick up with me in verse number 12. Therefore, Sarah laughed. <laughs> she laughed uh, within herself saying, I, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also. Now, where is Sarah? She's by herself. She's in the tent. She overheard the conversation. The conversation said next year she's going to have a baby. She thinks, how is this going to happen? And then she says, well, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? This, ladies, listen. We don't ever hear Sarah verbally calling her husband Lord. What we do see is Sarah at this moment saying, this is, this is just unbelievable. And do you think my beloved, respected husband is really going to have a kid with me? The word Lord there shows a sign of respect and honor. But this is in secret. Ladies, in the depth of your heart, in the secret places, there needs to be a heart that says, I want to obey the Lord, but I want to honor my husband. She never calls out, she doesn't call him Lord Abraham anywhere in scripture that we see. But down in the depth of her, and this is, this is a sign and a picture of respect. This dear, respected man who God gave me to be a husband, are we really going to have a kid? That's the picture. So we see Sarah uh, shows, shows honor. Submission is commendable because it shows honor. I'm willing to follow the leadership of my husband, but God, this one whom you've given me, is this really going to take place? This goes both ways. But listen, saying anything ugly about your spouse in public, on social media, with your friends is absolutely out of bounds. Period. Period. Sarah shows her respect and honor to her husband in secret, which you know is going to play out publicly. So, we get this picture, submission is going to show honor. But then notice in, in, in verse number six as well, that submission is not only going to show honor, but submission is then going to receive honor. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good. The picture is, is that if you're submissive, then you're going to be numbered like with Sarah, who's mentioned in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter that you're going to be mentioned with the honorable and holy women that are mentioned in verse number five. Ladies, good company says, man, with this heart to honor my husband and not just say submit, I'm going to kick the ground and be angry, but I'm going to seek to uphold him and uplift him and honor him. And as I do that in my life, it not only means that I honor him and honor the Lord, but that I am honored. And that's the picture. And if that's the case, you have nothing to fear. Submission is a bad word in our world. But can I tell you, it's really a freeing world. It's a freeing word in this world. 
I asked Julie yesterday, have we ever had to discuss this passage in our marriage? She said, no, we've not. We've not had to discuss it. Why? Well, from the time of watching her the moment I met her to see how she interacted with other people, her parents, authorities, how she interacted with me, I knew that this was a girl who had a gentle and quiet spirit with an extroverted personality and lots of fun and would compliment me well and we would be great partners. That's what God wants for all of us. Next week, husbands, it comes to us. There's challenges every day in our world and there's battles against marriage. Do you see the battle going on in our world? There's a battle against life. There's a battle against male and female. There's a battle against marriage. And this is not just stuff that happens down the road. This is stuff that happens in our own homes. And so we need to say, Lord, this is the book. This is my foundation. I say yes. Ultimately, the picture of Christ and the church. Jesus leads us. The church follows and submits to him is the picture Paul gives us in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And that's the picture for all of us as we live a life of submission to him. Today we've talked to husbands and wives, but if you don't know for certain that you have Jesus in your life and you've been forgiven of sin and you know that if you die today, you'd go to heaven, that's life's most important question. Here we have a a lady who comes to know Jesus and her husband doesn't. He's an unbeliever. She took the step and said, I'm going to follow Jesus by faith. Maybe someone needs to take that step today and say, Jesus, I need to forgive you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my life. If you'd like to talk with someone about that in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation where we'll give you that opportunity. Also, maybe some of you just need to come and, and pray. Maybe there's some specific uh, person that you need to pray for as we stand and sing in just a minute. Maybe you just need to stand at your, your place and pray. But as we come to this time, if God's speaking to you about a decision, maybe you need to say, look, I need to unite with our church. I need to Father, Lord, and believers, baptism, I need to come to trust Jesus as my Savior. Pastor Jerry will be here, I'll be here. If God's speaking to you, would you say yes to him? With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And uh, God, thank you for uh, how applicable it is today. And I pray today, especially for wives. God, I ask for your great grace over their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would just Uh, Move through the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray for us husbands as we talk next week. Help us to be everything that you want us to be. God, that we as a married couple and as our families can move forward for the kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.